Hey there. Welcome to the Brave New Workforce, the podcast changing the way the world works. It is 2021 on the 21st day of the first year of this new sort of thing. Like things have changed, right? Thing We're still in lockdown. There's still a lot going on. Anna, how you doing? I'm good. It's funny because we say this, but this episode is probably going to be released in February. So people are not well, going well, to get the reference. Well, yeah, well, okay, yeah, but like before we get started, um, let's let's bounce over. We, we, we have a our other our, our other lovely co-host, Larry. Larry, yeah, how are you doing? He seems to be missing oh. in action today. Larry's not here. No. Where he's... where is did did we have a vacation policy? Is that is that what happened? Did no. we introduce a vacation policy? Anna? No, we don't take vacations. We were working on Christmas, weren't we not? And this guy yeah. has the audacity the audacity to leave us this week. So, yeah. So Larry, Larry's away this week. We have a special guest this week. We're very excited yeah. to have her, but well, before but- we get to that, let's, let's tease Larry's working on some secret squirrel stuff on a course that he's working on, right? Yeah, it's well, going to be super cool. We're excited to, about he's, it. He's dead to me. He's dead to me. He's gone. We've replaced him officially with our new and shiny co-host who will only be here for today. I'm not going to say. We'll see where her, where uh, Larry is next week. Maybe he's in the forest somewhere and we can't find him. But for now, we have a lovely, lovely guest uh, with us. But Tripp, I, I, I'm sure you have uh, <laughs> some thoughts. I have, I have lots of things to say about <laughs> Terry Rodriguez uh, Hong who is a good friend of both Anna and Larry and mine. Uh, and we, we've known each other for a while. And uh, Terry is, she's a Silicon Valley based product designer working at a big company um, that we can't talk about because Fight Club, you can't talk about where you work if you work in a big tech company. Uh, but Terry is, uh, has a, a great story and it's a story that's really important to me. She, uh, she works and cares deeply about not just product design and how to make things easier, but she works in the area of accessibility. And Terry's going to tell us a little bit about what she does. And Terry, welcome to the Brave New Workforce. How are you? I'm good. Aloha, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. And then as Tripp said, yeah, I work in the Bay Area. Um, basically, I'm a UX UI designer in the Bay Area, help bridge uh the gap between products and hopefully the products will be accessible by all users and also a tutor for um, Career Foundry as well. So tell me, how did you like accessibility? What what do you mean by accessibility? Because I know what that means because I've worked in design. A lot mm-hmm. of people that work in tech knows it, but, but what do you mean when you're talking about accessibility in the context of technology? Um, Basically, having products or services to be accessible by everyone that can use it versus non-site, site person, just overall. Okay. So so people that have like, that they may need something, like they may have low vision or they may be blind or or they can't hear the sound or or for whatever reason, they may not be able to use a mouse in the same way. I mean, like that's, that's pretty yeah, typical. Pretty I mean, that, yeah. that, that's, that's the right thing to do, but what else, what else is included in accessibility or in your world or the things that you think about? Either with hidden disabilities or 
invisible disabilities, neurodiversity. Um, they all have different names and stuff that I've heard, um, but that everything comes into actually, you know, um, I talked to you, Tripp, about this, about um, inclusion, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of terms there. I mean, when we're talking about neurodiversity, we're talking about, um, there's a lot of evidence. I mean, I've talked many times about my dyslexia, right? But there's all sorts of, when we talk about diversity, it's not just dyslexic and not dyslexic. There's folks that are maybe on the autism spectrum, people that have ADHD, people that have auditory processing differences, um, even even things like, uh, I mean, there, there's there's what they're starting to find is that more people are different than we would call sort of the same or normal, right? Brains work differently. And that's when we're talking about hidden disabilities, you can't tell just by looking at somebody that they're different. So how does that, how does that work in a product? Like, why is that something to consider in a product? Because when you are designing anything or you're making anything, right. Um, you definitely have to consider, um, all of us versus something that you don't think of. And that's really important because we don't see it. It's, you know, it's hidden. It's not obvious. And when it's not obvious, then you get into trouble, I think. But so, so how did you become, I mean, that's an area that I've always been pretty, I mean, it's one of the reasons that I went into design and, but we all have our own stories. Like how did you get interested in that particular aspect of design about making products more accessible and inclusive for people that may be different, their abilities are different, their strengths are different. Yeah, that's actually a really great question because when I started out learning and as I begin to understand my own learning techniques and when, when technology changed, I found that I had to use other technologies to learn how to process the information or how to take notes. Um, and I went through a various of software to try and figure that out. And sometimes it works and sometimes it didn't work. Just for example, if I took a class in something and they didn't have the audio of something. So I would reach out to that professor or who was doing it for the workshop saying, hey, can I have this in audio? Because I learn better that way. Yeah, I would love to take like a step back and like do a, a baseline of how do people usually learn versus the different ways people learn and how are you thinking about each each of these steps? Tripp, you have something to say? <laughs> I always have something to say, Anna. <laughs> uh, it's kind of my thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you, uh, and you're poking the bear because you, you're I, trying to get me on my high horse around I, education. I love how Larry's not here to tame either one of us right now. So this is going to be quite interesting to see the dynamic and have Terry kind of navigate these waters. Buckle up, folks. This is going to be a long episode. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, so the, it's funny because um, I don't, I mean, I would... Terry has sort of her own experience. And, and one of the things I'm a little older than Terry, I, I, my dyslexia was just, and I'm very outspoken about it because there's a lot of evidence that 
these differences are offset by deep strengths in a lot of areas. There's more evidence around that, that this is people talk about disability. It's something that I actually avoid talking about because I don't think I'm disabled. I think I'm different. Um, and a lot of what I've done in my career is like that, but in school, um, schools are designed to teach to the middle and that most people can do this, right? The expectation is most people can do this. And I, and I'm, this is something that's important to me because my youngest child, we just went through the IEP process or in the middle of it where his pages for accommodations, uh, and, uh, his instructional pl- uh, accommodations were is 33 pages long. He's in third grade. He can't read. Uh, he's, uh, you know, stru- and he dreads school. It's like PTSD trying to get him to go to school and remote school. Like his father is in tech, right? I've designed these systems. I worked on education technology, but you have to point out to the schools that this, this it's laptops and all that kind of stuff. My son can't read the interface. He can't read. There's no audio workaround. You know, I had to point out to them with computer-based tests for reading. There's no, there's no workaround for that. So how are you going to test him, right? Because he's got to get some help to get up to like what his potential is. And it, that wasn't around when I was coming up through school. And Terry, you know, I'm assuming that it wasn't that much further along when you were in school. So when you talk about like how you experience the world differently, um, like maybe talk a little bit more about that because yes, asking for the books, but like what are what are the things that that for you were struggled and and maybe motivate you for like why you care about this as it goes into products? Yeah, definitely. Because uh, going into school, and I remember those um, IEPs as well. Um, I was in a meeting one time. This was actually during uh, eighth grade, um, and I wanted to go to a different high school, and we were in this meeting. And of course, kind of like all adults and doctors and psychologists, who's ever there is there, you know, with their big fancy titles. And I'm just this sitting little eighth grader and, and I wanted to go to this one high school, but I was in, um, in a different district, but this other high school, they had a better program and I felt a lot more comfortable going there. So during the meeting, they're just, you know, talking as if I wasn't there. And when one of the psychologists started talking, I spoke up being as an eighth grader saying, you guys don't know me. You guys only see me on a piece of paper. I'm sitting right here and you're all talking as if I'm not here. So that was the first time being an eighth grader, being a really advocate for myself and said, no, I want to go to the school. I will get B's. I will get a 3.0 and above. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm capable of, period. And it was like dead silence. And then after that, I ended up going to that high school. And yeah, I did get a 3.0. So at a young age, I definitely had to advocate for what I thought would be better for me. Because nobody else knows what's better for me than for me. They think they do. But in reality, they don't. I was lucky enough to have uh, just a, an angry Irish Catholic mother that would just go in and just raise hell. Uh, like, it's, I mean, her, her default setting is hold my beer and fight me uh, because it's, that's, that's, you, you kind of need that sort of advocacy. Um, but it's, 
like it's great that now that we're out of school and we're we've had successful careers in tech, you know, they were wrong. Um, it's good that we don't have to advocate like that anymore, right? Um I'm gonna have to <laughs> that, was a, that, was a, that was a troll. So, yeah, so how does the question in it? Um, yeah. as as anybody that learns differently, right? Hidden disability or no hidden disability, whatever you want to call it, label it. Um, you still have to. This this might sound kind of corny, but you got to have to you know fight the good fight because you know yourself how you learn, right? So so if you ask a fellow coworker, say, hey, can I get the deck a little early so I can absorb the information, and they say no, and you're like. Okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot. That was very helpful. Actually, it wasn't. So, so anybody that has a teammate out there or has a coworker ask you just politely and say, "Hey, can you help me take notes?" or or "Hey, can I compare my notes with your notes?" There's a reason why. Just don't say no. Yeah, that's uh, interesting because the I listened to a podcast the other day and this person was widely successful in their respective fields, but they admitted that they have never in the whole 40 plus years of life known how to take notes. They just don't, they don't understand or know how to do that. They just, it's like, let me take a notes in this meeting. And he's like, how does one even begin because the moment he's trying to take notes, he's trying to take notes on everything, or he doesn't even know what's relevant, or he doesn't know what's like, what he should be taking notes on. And it's like, nobody has taught him <laughs> how to take notes. And to me, that's crazy. Cause like, I take notes all the time. It's part what's one of, it's one of the features of my jobs, uh, is to take good notes. And, um, Anna likes to say that she listens to all these podcasts, but I think she was just listening to my podcast or this podcast or whatever, because that's me. Uh, I never learned how to take notes. Uh, I can't take notes. I have so uh, many questions. Like, how, how, how does one not know how to do this? You want me to talk nerdy to you? Cause I can get into the cognitive science, right? But the, but the, there's, there's, there's reasons for it. And they have all of these labels. People hear about dyslexia and ADHD and, and actually the scientists don't know why this stuff happens. And, and there's great theories out there. There's this anthropologist from Cambridge um, who believes that these might be naturally occurring genetic deviations that have advantages to them, right? So in the same way that people with red hair and they sunburn easily, but they also have better vitamin D, right? Uh, Left-handedness, like you talk to a lefty and it it's hard to navigate the world with a left hand because the world isn't built for you, but I'm, it's a huge advantage as a pitcher. I'm a left-handed right? person. And volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and volleyball, right? Yeah, volleyball. Um, <laughs> I'm a left-handed but, person living in a right-handed world. Every time I go to, like, if I need, you know, I go to a chiropractor every once in a while when I feel like I have a headache or something. And he's always like, the reason why you have this and this issue is because you're right-handed. And I've been going to him for over, I don't know, eight years now. He's like the family chiropractor. And I go, and I, every time I'm like, I'm not right-handed, I'm left-handed. And he's like, oh, well, you live in a very right-handed world. And I'm like, I know, this is, this is my problem, yeah. you know. But, but, the, but the thing is, so statistically, people with red hair make up less than 2% of the global population. Less than 10% of the population is left-handed. 
um, with dyslexia alone, before you get into some of the other stuff, dyslexia, um, the estimates range from 15 to 20%, only about eight to 10% get any help in school, right? So there's a lot of stealth dyslexics. So not just invisible, but never identified people that would say like, oh, I'm a slow reader, or I need to like, I need to, I, I need time to think about it. Um, but for me, I've got all the labels. I've got dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, ADHD, uh, probably if, you know, probably other things, but um, I had to spend so much time concentrating on my handwriting. I, I actually wasn't, I studied special education in college and I couldn't graduate uh, in special education because they had one course that required handwritten field notes that you couldn't type. Uh, and my ha- and they, they graded it on the organization and all that kind of stuff. That'd be illegal now under the Americans with Disabilities Act, but it's not, uh, it doesn't really change the fact that I couldn't, like I've got this expertise, but I couldn't go do it. So there's that limitation and people look at you. I mean, and Terry, I'd love to, your thoughts on this is like, when you have an invisible difference, um, you kind of have a foot in two worlds. One, you have a quote unquote disability or a difference that legally needs to be accommodated, but you need to tell people that it needs to be accommodated. Um, but people look at you and say, well, you're not really disabled right? You're not really, I mean, it's not the same thing as like being blind or, or deaf or, you know, uh, having to use a wheelchair, right? That's, that's the, that's the hard part, right? At least for me, that's the, that's the part where the world isn't built for us. The world, you know, we're left-handers living in a world that is built for almost entirely right-handers. Yeah, no, basically, I always get the famous quote, um, when they do know, or if they do disclose or whatever it is, um, but people that know me really, really well, you know, if they're in my circle, they know how I learned, they know everything. But um, yeah, I always get the same quote. First, they're shocked. And this is the line that I hear throughout. (gasps) You're so normal. You act so normal. And I'm thinking in my head, what the heck does normal have to do with anything? Well, I, I get I get the wow, but you're really smart, right? <laughs> I'm like, uh I'm okay. Okay. Was, I, just, was that a call? Thank you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean it, it's it, I mean, you hear that with a, like a lot of stereotypes. Um, and so I mean it's not, I mean you can, I mean, there's some, some bad ones, right? It's like, you drive really well for a girl, right? Like that's a, that's a, like, yeah. I mean, like that's, that's the kind of thing. I mean, like, yes, I know. Please don't tweet me. I know that's a bad thing to say, right? But as a matter of illustration, it's a similar sort of piece, right? So because it's misunderstood or it's, it's based on an assumption. So I think the reason we wanted to talk with you today um, is how does, now that we're remote and we have to use, we've changed so much of how we work. Um, I think there's probably a lot of people out there struggling with how to advocate. Like I've never had to ask for this help because I could always go talk to somebody, right? And and get the information. You find ways to work around it, but and the software may not be that well designed. So, like, why is accessibility and what has come to be known as inclusive design 
uh, where you, you consider those things. Why is that so much more important? And what are you seeing in your own work life in terms of having to work differently? Yeah, actually, this is a really prime um, example. Um, number one, not the best writer in the world, and that's okay. But I'm working on it, right? But any time of my communication of writing style, maybe it's not clear enough to the other party. So there's a technology um, that I really like. It's called Loom, of course. There's a lot more companies that you can do screen recordings now. But when I started with with Loom about, what, two and a half years ago, I think, I was able to have all the senses together, the audio, um, the visual, and the talk, and then the closed caption. So that's everything uh, That's everything regarding uh, the senses. So... If I am giving feedback to another designer, say, I will use that. So therefore, everything's kind of taken care of. You know, if they, you know, if they're not a visual person, they don't have to watch it. They can just hear it. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that totally makes sense. But, you know, to Anna's earlier question around how do people learn? One of the things like when I was a teacher, we knew that what they called multi-sensory or multimodal uh, reinforcement of information. You know, maybe you were a kid and you had to learn spelling words and it was like, see it, write it, say it, right? And you're using the kinesthetic of like your hand, you know, you're writing it out, but you're saying the word and you're looking at the letter as you say it. And that's using different parts of the brain to reinforce that learning in the same way that I can see the text, I can see the the lips moving of the person on the screen. I can hear what they're, what they're saying. Uh, and I can see the information that they're presenting and it comes together, but that works for everybody. That's just, it's just a better learning experience for everybody. That's not something that, you know, you have to have a disability to have. And I think that's kind of the point is how do the tools need to change, uh, for how we work. And I think you've already, like, that's the thing is that we can, people like us are often the canaries in the coal mine for finding the hacks. Like I've talked to you about my writing process, but like, what are other, other examples besides grain? Yeah. Or not no. grain. Sorry. Besides, besides loom loom grain is one of those other companies, but um, I've used, but uh, loom. Yeah. Um, I think loom is great. And basically actually I did um, a research project on um, last semester um, for school. And I basically, I was looking at like um, all the technologies like zoom WebEx um, and teams well, Zoom doesn't have a closed caption. You, um, you need a third party. Um, WebEx, um, you can record and they do have closed caption, but only on Windows, not on Macs, unless that has changed since last year. I, you know, but the ones that really came close is Microsoft with Teams because you can record. They have a closed caption. And the recording, you get it right away. Unlike WebEx, you have to wait 24 to 48 hours to get that recording. Well, that's, and that's not a mistake, right? That's something like, I mean, Microsoft in our circles, I mean, this may not be widely known, but Microsoft has made an incredible investment in better tools that start with accessibility. Uh, and, and that comes from a couple of places. A, 
whether they admit it or not, there's lots of people on the autism spectrum that are in engineering roles and they make some of the best engineers. Uh, there's lots of people in dis- with dyslexia. We're way overrepresented in areas like uh, uh, with dyslexia, they're in design, right? In entrepreneurship. But in particular, they have a chief accessibility officer who reports to the CEO um, who is deaf, right? And has learned to accommodate. And Satya Nadella, who is the CEO of, of Microsoft, um, has a son who is, um, has some, some significant uh, challenges. Uh, you know, he's nonverbal and on the spectrum, right? And so that empathy and trying to understand how do you make things better for these people, they're, they're, it's resulting in more useful, better products. Yeah, and that's, that's a really good example, I think. Yeah. Because, because without that type of product, then how can we, you know, do our job? You know, it's not, no, it's not like we have to do a hack every single time if we meet somebody new when, when we are working with somebody, say, versus Skype, you know, or Zoom or WebEx, or maybe this person doesn't know how to do WebEx. And then, okay, so, okay, so if I'm on, if I'm on Skype, that means I have to use QuickTime to record it. So there's different tools that basically as a person I have to go here, 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 here versus having all in one and and that everybody is on there. So I mean it's a it's a like a salsa dance, you know? You try this, then you try that, and you know, you keep moving your feet. Yeah, that's that's been a little bit of my experience and um Anna, you may not know this about me, but I talk a lot. Um, really? I'm yeah. so surprised. The face and the yeah. shock. Yes. <laughs> I'm known to monologue. Um, but part of that, and part of that is my difference. Like I, I, I talk fancy and I sound good, right? But um, in my, my brain, and this is something that they know about dyslexics, is that the right hemisphere of our brain, the part that is responsible for storytelling, what they call episodic memory and our ways of envisioning. So many of us in areas like architecture and design, because we actually have documented strengths and spatial awareness and, you know, like the way things operate in space uh, and storytelling, Steven Spielberg uh, and uh, uh, lots of Hollywood film directors are dyslexic. Um, I need to talk through because the left side of my brain, one of the things they've seen is like, there's, there's less gray matter on the left side, which is semantic memory, which is the facts or the exact word or the thing that I need to kind of, so I almost like, I need to be like a little bit of BS and, and, and until I can kind of get my point across, cause I'm thinking it as I'm talking it. Right. And that's, that's part of the ways that I've had to accommodate. And when I write, because I talk so much, I just record it on a mic and I throw it in and it transcribes the whole thing. And then I can edit down, right? This whole podcast started from an article that I just couldn't make shorter, right? And Larry and you kind of like had this intervention and be like, yo, Trip, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe short form writing isn't your thing. I, this is why I suck at tweeting, right? So Anna, you've like... This is why you're the LinkedIn guru among the family here. <laughs> and, and Larry is the Twitter guy. 
Yes. Well, yes, I'm the medium guy. It's like, like Twitter, like they still limit you on, I, most people don't know that you will run out of space if you type a, a LinkedIn post. Yeah. I found that out and I actually, like, that's like my Twitter limit, right? <laughs> I can't, it's hard, but like, that's, that's the piece where, you know, in the same way that you and Larry and people like uh, Terry have been, we, we build networks around ourselves because like, it's easier to hide when you're invisible. It's easier to hide. Right, Terry. I mean, like you, you kind of find the people that can help you and offset your strengths, but that's harder to do when you can't have the person that's the good note taker in the meeting. Right. Oh yeah. Right oh, there yeah. with you. Like what's yeah. been your, what have been your hack? What have been your pandemic hacks? Oh God. Um, there's a lot lot of them um sometimes i would use my my phone as a voice recorder i would ask permission of course and then i would record the meeting take my notes and then say here it's deleted and actually show that person so they're not like you know freaking out or anything like that um that's another one um another one is um I would ask somebody, it's like, hey, I'm going to take some notes. Um, is it okay um, if you, if I sat next to you and just kind of check my notes onto your notes, just making sure, you know, I get the right dates, you know, and stuff like that. So I've done that. Um, there's times that basically um, use paper or pen or actually um, my iPod Pro, that was a really good one. I used um, an app called... Uh, Notability that it will actually record the meeting as I'm writing. So whatever the person is saying, it will go back to what I'm writing. So that was another one. Um, if I didn't have my iPad, I would definitely use my phone. Um, I would take uh, pictures of, of what somebody was talking about. Sometimes I would actually make them draw something on the whiteboard. Um, so I can have a snap of picture what that is. So I would take a picture, I'll just put it A and just do another A on it and, and write my notes, um, that way. Do you know what I hate is, um, I hate passwords, passwords, passwords for me. And it's actually something that everybody has to use, but for somebody like me, I look at, when I look at a password, especially if it's got all the gobbledygook characters in there, um, they flip flop around. I can't trust it. A lot of times I'll take a picture of it on my phone mm -hmm. and I'll zoom it way in so I can go each by, because there, there's no break. I can't actually see like three digits or whatever. And I think, um, you know, the, you, you encounter this constantly. And I think like when we rethink about like what changes with where we work, how we work changes. Um, but you, 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 you encounter these, these, I mean, it's, it's hard, these biases. Right. It's almost in some cases, even bigotry, because like um, I, I, I used to work at Audible and you'd run into people and say, well, no, I, I, I listen to. Oh, so you don't read like reading isn't the same. Listening is not the same as reading. Right. And, and, and that's that you'd hear that. And, and I it sort of cracked the knuckles uh, the, because it's it's just like, OK, hold my beer. I, I come by that honestly, my mom. Right. But the but the uh, the, the thing the thing about it is that the purpose of the book is to actually convey the information. It's the story in the book. It's the ideas in the book. It's the connections in the book. It's not the words on the page or the number of pages. 
Um, and that's, that's something that I think like when we look at how we work, you know, that's something I'm really glad someone like you or someone like us is at the table talking about why that's important in, in, in how we change the way that we're working. So I Anna, as a normal, as a normal, what do you think? <laughs> normal. What? <laughs> <laughs> what is See, the-, the cool kids. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. No, like, I mean, Anna it's- is anything but normal. <laughs> Okay, don't. She's <laughs> exceptional. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> um, no, it's actually interesting because I've grown up with these, uh, with you people, actually. My sister <laughs> um, didn't learn how to read until she was like 11 or so. And my father was also in the same boat. And my father back in, you know, the early 50s, 60s had a much harder time because they wanted to put him on medication and drugs and things like that. And it's like, why isn't he reading at 12? Like, what's wrong with him? Is he, does he have a learning disability? You know, and so he had to face a lot more of that kind of critical than my my sister did. And then when my sister was going through something similar, my dad was like, oh, I know all these signs this is completely normal. And he kind of normalized it in my household that he's just like, there's different, we all have our different temperaments towards reading and learning and writing and things like that. Um, Once he knew how to read, and the same goes with my sister, actually, at, at 11, 12 years old, they became vicious readers. And um, they are super, super advanced, I guess, in that kind of area because they they read everything and anything. So I think it also depends on like the, the, the personality type of somebody as well. Yeah. And I think like just like one one thing about that, right? And I, you, you know, you've talked about like you're growing up with, you had a very different education background, um, you know, in terms of your father's approach. And, and I've had to do that with my kids and be very very much of an advocate because I had to learn how to advocate for myself. But one thing, another statistic or two statistics is that when they've done studies, 50% of the prison population in the studies um, was dyslexic or had some sort of a neurological difference. I get really passionate about this uh, subject because I've worked with a lot of uh, prisoners in my volunteer time and uh, something along the lines of 80% of prisoners do not know how to read and write. Um, and a lot of them had grown up in the foster care system. So they might be dyslexic, but they also don't, don't even have uh, the basics of like knowing how to write a resume or anything like that. So we, we kind of take for granted like the systemic problems uh, when it comes to that, the prison population and the foster care system. Um, I mean, that's totally a different podcast for a different time, but it definitely says that we are not adapting our education to the different individual. And I think it's so important that we think about the individual in the situation um, than a broad stroke approach. Can't agree more, but we've, we've, we've said that we want this to be not the doom and gloom season. We want this to be the hopeful season. So the flip side of that is um, when you look at the people that really go big like that one of the things, the statistics that they're discovering is that 40% of the self-made millionaires are, have neurodiversity. And you look at like the big people, the big Titans, like the, the, the uh, Einstein, uh, Henry Ford, Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, uh, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates are all people that have 
a neurodiverse approach, right? So your innovators, your great thinkers, the people that are disruptors look a lot more like people that we've been talking about. And when your company is remote, is that your accommodation and you're making it so that they can work in your environment or are you losing a strategic advantage uh, by not actually creating an environment where those people thrive? Um, I, I, that's what I'm, that's what makes me really hopeful about the work you're doing, uh, Terry, because I think that's important work. And thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. The more we talk about it, the more it will be come to light because we don't talk yeah. about it, then it'll just stay there buried. So Terry, where can people find out more about you and your work? Um, yeah, I'm definitely on uh, Twitter and my handle name is Doxinink. Um, and then just my name.com, terryrodriguezhong.com. Okay. And I'm sure, I'm sure you're on LinkedIn and all yeah, that kind okay. of stuff. I mean, Terry, I, I, you, you always bring a ton of insight and great stuff whenever we talk about this stuff offline. So if anybody's looking for an amazing person that cares deeply about this stuff and can help make your organization and your product better, Terry Rodriguez Hong is a great first stop. So Terry, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Aloha. Okay, you can find us at thebraveworkforce.com. You can also send me an email at Anna at thebraveworkforce.com. If you have accessibility issues and you don't know what to do, send me an email so we can talk about it, answer your questions, uh, and give you further resources if need be. Um, and if you've seen if you've seen Larry wandering around in the wilderness out there, uh, <laughs> tell him that. Uh, to email us you know we're we're concerned uh and anna we we did a good job we didn't we didn't we didn't blow this one well, we 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 got to give a shout out to albie because he's going to make us sound so much cooler than what we what we are yeah. so uh thanks everybody for listening keep putting one foot in front of the other better days are ahead